All right, hey guys, uh, my name is Steve and I am the lead pastor here at Trailhead Church. I want to welcome you. Um, and uh, right off the bat, I would like to address the elephant in the room. Um, why am I up here on the screen and not down there on the stage? Um, it's because right now I am either in an airplane on the way to Honduras or have just arrived. And so we had to come up with a way to use technology so I could be in two places at once. When I extended our sermon series an additional week, um, I kind of committed us to um, coming up with another solution than my being here live. And so thank you for, for giving us the grace and, and being patient with us and, and, uh, and putting up with Flat Steve um, for, for this weekend, okay? Um, I do want to let you know, and I want to remind you, that in the lobby we have study books, okay? Starting next week, we are launching a new sermon series um, called The Resurrection. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, and it is our way of preparing for Easter. What a great way to do it, right? It is, it is um, one of the longest chapters in the Bible, uh, or at least in the New Testament, and um, it, is, it is all about the resurrection. And so this book is going to help you get the most out of this uh, study. So please grab it. I mean, like for real, grab it. Okay, they're out in the lobby. Every week, there are questions for you to dig into the text, and, and there are ways for you just to do some observational study and, and things that are going to kind of grab your mind and get you thinking. And we want to get you into the text uh, before the sermon, okay? Because, um, because each week, we know you're going to get the most out of it if you're most engaged with it, okay? And so please grab this, and, and, and let's do this together. Um, our team, our volunteer team, put together an incredible resource. I mean, this is like phenomenal, and it was put together by trailheaders, okay? It was put together by people dedicated to the ministry of this church and, and wanting all of us to continue growing, okay? So, so grab this in the lobby and, uh, and use it this week, right? There's a study this week to prepare for next week when we, when we launch. In fact, there was a study for last week too, and so you can do two this week if you want to, all right? Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. We're going over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you. Um, and in our Bibles, we're going to page 984. While you're flipping over there, um, man, this has been an incredible series. Um, it has been uniquely challenging and, uh, and uniquely rewarding. We have been looking at a theology of race. What, what does the Bible have to say? What, what is God's perspective on racial and ethnic tensions? Why is it here? What was God's purpose and design in all of this for ethnicity and, and race? And, and then how do we push into it today to discover its blessing um, and not just its challenge? All right. So, so just to, to remind you, we began by taking a look at the goal Right. Ultimately, we took a look at, at, at Revelation at the end of the Bible in our first sermon and, and saw that, that God's purpose ultimately is to bring unity in diversity, right? Because we see he who sits on the throne, surrounded by every tribe, every language, every skin color, every hair texture, every cultural expression, they're all gathered around the throne. The differences aren't erased, they're redeemed, right? The diversity comes together in a new unity. So their ethnic center is no longer their, their identity center, their language center, their, their, their skin color, their, their, their racial and cultural heritage. They're not, that's not the center. The center is Christ. But, but, but when, when we see them gathered, they're gathered in a beautiful diversity. God doesn't erase the differences. 
He brings them together in the differences, and those differences glorify Him, right? And that's because when we looked back at the very beginning of the Bible, it was always God's intention for humanity to become ethnically diverse. Ethnic diversity was the buried gift in creation. Adam and Eve were created with ethnic diversity in their very genes, and the first commandment God gave them was be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right? In so doing, you will discover this incredible gift of diversity, but instead of it being a gift, they rebelled against God. And when they discovered this gift, it was not a, a gift of joy and of beauty. It became an unwelcome challenge um, because our sin made us worldly. Right? Worldliness is just a way of saying that we've discovered our way of doing life apart from God. We have our way of finding significance and security, pleasure and purpose in life apart from from humble dependence on God. And and part of that is our incessant need to create us-them paradigms. That there's an inner circle where I feel safe and important and more important than others. And there's an outer circle where where they reside and and the others. It's not that we, we necessarily hate them, but we fear them. It's not that we necessarily despise them, but we get nervous around them because it threatens us, right? And so we create us and them. And, and, and diversity became a source of pride and fear as opposed to an incredible gift of beauty, right? And so as a result, we built <clears throat> artificial walls of identity, right? We, we built artificial walls of identity, walls that were meant to keep the other out and keep the us in. It helped me keep uh, what I have and protect it and get more so that them couldn't get it. And, and, and it kept them at a distance where I wouldn't have to be challenged and made un, uncomfortable. And we saw in week three that Jesus came with the purpose of tearing down the dividing wall, right? First and foremost, between us and God, right? There was a dividing wall between us and God because our sin had separated us from God. Our cosmic treason had made us um, incompatible with the very presence of the holiness of God. And so there was a wall between us and God, and Jesus came to die uh, for our sin. He, He took our place in judgment so that we could join him in blessing. Jesus stepped into that, that space of hostility and died under the justice I deserved that I might receive the blessing I could never earn. He tore down the wall between me and my heavenly Father. Christ, who is my peace, now invites me near and invites you near. Right? Anyone who believes in Jesus has, has their sins forgiven and, and their guilt removed and, and they are reconciled to God, right? So it is first and foremost between us and God. But the natural outgrowth of that is that we move in the peace that we've received with God. We move out on the mission of peace. We've been redeemed to God and we move out as ministers of reconciliation, tearing down the artificial walls that separate us from them. We, we move out in this new identity, carrying out the mission of love. And this mission wasn't lost on the early church. We, we took a look. Um, Aaron preached in our, our fourth sermon uh, about the early church at Antioch. And Antioch was a church, man, that got this. They got this. They were the first multi-ethnic, multicultural church. It was one of the most important churches ever to exist. One of the most impactful churches ever to exist. Um, and they were radically diverse at a time when radical diversity simply didn't exist. 
right? Their leadership team was, was made up of, of, of a, a very dark-skinned black man, of a, of a North African, uh, of, of um, a Greek, uh, of, a, of, a, of a Hebraic Jew and a, and a um, Hellenistic Jew, right? These aren't people that hung out together. These are not people that were of the same tribe. These aren't people that sat down and enjoyed dinner together. And yet here they are doing life together. And it was so radical and so different. That was just the leadership team. That reflected the diversity of this entire community. And this community was, was so different that people in the world had to find a way to classify them because they had no classification for it. And so for the first time, we have people called Christians, and it's only because they had no other name for them. There was this group that kept getting together. They're singing, and they're eating together, and they seem to be laughing and having fun together, and they shouldn't. But they keep saying, Christos, 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 the Greek word for, for Christ. So they called them Christians. They came up with an entirely new category in order to describe them. And, and that church, man, that church, we can't overstate the importance, the, the ripple effects of the mission of that church are still being felt today. Then last week, we took a look at a case study of how to deal with the tension and the difficulty um, that comes from uh, uh, this, this racial diversity, this ethnic diversity. Be- because this ethnic diversity, uh, the challenges, the artificial walls we built don't just fall down on their own, right? The challenges of, of these cultural differences, they don't just go away on their own. We don't just know what we don't know. We don't just see what we haven't seen. That requires us to actually move into relationship with people. That requires us to, to, to sometimes do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, hurt people's feelings. It gets messy. And last week, we saw a case study of how to deal with the tension and the conflict that arises as we work to enjoy the gift of diversity through the redemptive work of Christ as opposed to, to simply running from it because it's difficult. So today as we wrap up, I want to give us a, a clear invitation to keep pushing in. To keep pushing in. There is a difficulty that comes with diversity. But there is a gift on the other side of the difficulty. There is a blessing that Christ has won for us. So I want to wrap up with a clear invitation for us to keep pushing in, to keep growing, and keep praying. We're going to be taking a look at Colossians chapter 3 in order to do that today. And so take your Bibles, take a look at Colossians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 11 through 17. Uh, I'm going to read these out loud. I would like for you to follow along in your Bible, starting in verse 11. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The Word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. All right, you guys, um, three weeks ago, when, when we were looking at Ephesians 2, which really is, I think, the hinge of the entire sermon series, we looked at the work of Christ and how it redeems this incredible gift of diversity. Um, when we took a look at that, what we saw is, is that the work of Christ, Christ who is my peace, who has won peace between me and God and then sends me out as a, a minister of reconciliation to be an emissary of peace, God is at work to create something new. And there were, there were three ways that, that Ephesians 2 described that. First of all, it said that God is creating a new man, a new humanity. Not the same humanity that, that, that um, rebelling as God and, and uh, was at the Tower of Babel building a monument to their own futility and, and weakness in opposition to God, right? No, we're a new humanity, not marked by the disobedience of our first parents, but marked by the obedience of our Savior. A new humanity with a new center and a new purpose, right? We are a new humanity, and we're also a new family. That was the second term used, right? You're my brother. You're my sister in Christ, right? Even if you're from a different ethnic group, even if you speak a different language, even if your skin color is different than mine, even if you wear a different cultural expression of clothing, if you are a follower of Christ, I owe you the same allegiance, that I owe my dear brother. I owe you the same affection that I owe my dear sister. I need to invite you to the same table that I would invite my dear ones because we are family. And then finally, he said, we're being built into a living temple. No longer does God's glory dwell in a building isolated from man where we're separated by a series of walls. The glory of God now dwells in the living temple that is being built through the work of Jesus, the church itself, us. We are the living building blocks with Christ himself being the cornerstone, being built up into a living temple for the glory of God who dwells in us by the power of the Spirit, right? We, God dwells in his diverse people. We were created in the image of God, and as we come together in that image, filled with the Spirit of God, we, we, are, we are a representation of the beauty and the glory and the justice and the love of our God. And at the center of it all is Jesus, who is our peace. Jesus, who is our peace. Jesus, who made peace between us and God, and Jesus, who invites us to make peace with each other. That's the backdrop to verse 11. That explains verse 11. Take a look at verse 11. Here, where? Here, right here, Trailhead Church. Here in the church universal. Here in, in, the, in, this, in this new humanity, in this new family, in, in this living temple. Here, there is not Greek or Jew. There are no ethnic divisions. Right? These, these ethnic tribes that, that used to mistrust each other, right? Now, that doesn't mean their ethnicity is erased, right? God doesn't erase diversity in order to create unity. He creates a new center for identity, and we find unity in the diversity, right? You have both Greek and Jew, but, but here our primary identity is not our cultural baggage, our ethnic background our primary language, our cultural way of seeing life, doing things, right? No, here our primary identity is Christ who is our peace. Here our primary identity is not Greek or Jew. It is not circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no one group who has a greater access to the blessing of God. There's no one group who has a greater access to, to, to grace or to that privileged position of being loved by God. 
There's no ethnic group that is elevated above any other ethnic group when it comes to the favor of God. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. There are only those in need of grace and those who have received grace. Those who are in need of Christ who is our peace and those who have received Christ are peace through faith, right? There's not circumcised or uncircumcised. There's not barbarian or scythian. <laughs> barbarian or scythian. What the heck's that about? Um, so the Greeks, <clears throat> when they thought about it, so the Greeks were really, really proud of their, of their philosophy, of their intelligence, uh, of their ability to think, and, and, and of, their, of their big, you know, all that stuff. Barbarians was the term they used for everybody else in the world who wasn't educated like they were, right? It was their term for, for anybody who wasn't educated in Greek philosophy. They're a bunch of barbarians. Scythians were the bottom of the bar- barrel. Scythians were, were these people who lived on the northern coast of the Black Sea, and they saw them as, as violent, uneducated, and uncivilized. They were the, they were the bottom of the barrel, right? So for Paul to list them here specifically, he's saying, look, man, there's no difference in educational background. There, there is no, like, like those who are educated tend to have greater socioeconomic status. They, they tend to have more access. They tend to be more, they think of themselves as more intelligent and sometimes even more worthwhile, right, than somebody who, who simply has a street education. So somebody who, who hasn't been to school, who hasn't read the books, who hasn't been, right? But here in God's people, your primary identity is Christ who is our peace, not your educational pedigree. Here, it is Christ who is our peace, not how intelligent you are or who you can quote or how many blogs you've read or, 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 or which um, school of, of education you went to, right? Here, there is neither slave nor free. There's no socioeconomic status in the people of God. Now, I feel compelled to remind you that in, in the time of Christ, um, slavery, the word slave here can actually be translated bond slave. The way they approached slavery was fundamentally different than, than the American experience of slavery. The American experience of slavery was called chattel slavery, where people were basically property. They lost all human rights. And so people had the ability to buy and sell their children. They had the ability to breed them. They had the ability to break up family units. They had the ability to control every aspect of their life, right? The slavery that's being spoken about here was predominantly bond slavery, which was an economic system in which somebody basically gave up their productive hours to to a boss, right? So if you were indebted, you might be a bond slave for seven years to work off your debt. Now, you still had human freedom. You could still have a family. You could still, you could still have personal dignity. You, you, you could still do all of these things. It's just that your productive hours were owned by somebody else because of your indebtedness or because you were captured in a war or because of all these things, and you could work off your indebtedness, right? You, and so it was an economic system. Now, I'm not saying it didn't have its own injustice, and I'm not saying it didn't have its own abuse, right? But when these two people came together in the body of Christ... They were brothers and sisters in Christ. Their primary identity as they came together to worship was not um, those who, who owned and those who were indebted. Their primary difference was not socioeconomic status. Those who were on the top of the chain who had all the power and those who were on the bottom of the chain who had none. Right? In the body of Christ, they were brothers. In the body of Christ, they were sisters, they were family, they were a new humanity, a living temple. There was no ethnic, um, uh, covenantal, educational, socioeconomic status differences 
right? Nobody was, was greater favored. Now, here's the thing, you guys. I, this list <clears throat> is a little bit distant to us, right? Somebody calls me a barbarian, I'm likely to laugh because um, that would be kind of funny. Um, it, it, you know, you call me a Scythian, I'm going to be confused, right? Um, so this list doesn't carry, I think, the same uh, emotional loadedness that it would for the first century, right? Today, we could add to the list, there is neither Republican nor Democrat. Today, we could add to the list that there is neither conservative nor progressive. Today, we could add to the list there is neither capitalist nor democratic socialist. Today, we could add to the list all kinds of things that are much more loaded in our culture and in our time. We have a radical new center that creates an entirely new people. We are all one. Different cultures, different, different cultural values, different ethnicities, but one new humanity. Different socioeconomic states, but one class. Different educational backgrounds, but one pedigree. Listen, y'all, um, Jesus didn't create the church so that we would just be a mirror image of the artificial divisions we see in culture. Jesus did not create this radical new humanity so that we would simply tolerate and mimic the same artificial walls of division, valuing some people more than others, giving a greater voice to some people than others, giving more credence to some people than others, based on the same value systems that drive the world, to mimic the same fear and the same self-protection. He created the church to be a radically different society. A small taste of the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of man. A foretaste of what is to come. But as we saw last week, and we've kind of seen every single week in this series, this is going to take real work. Emotional work. Costly, personal work. Humble work. Loving work. Take a look at verse 12. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Notice the order. This is really important. Paul begins by telling us what to do and then interrupts himself to remind us who we are. Right? He begins by telling us what to do. Put on compassion, put on kindness, put on you know, all these things. But he interrupts himself, right? Put on then, by the way, wait, 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 before you get started doing stuff, let me remind you who you are, right? You are, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He starts telling you what to do, but stops to remind you who you are. You are God's chosen ones. That word, chosen. Eclectos means you are the elect ones, right? We talked about this in a previous sermon. Election is not to privilege. Election is to responsibility. When God elects someone, he elects them to carry a blessing to others. Now, you receive a blessing in the process, but you are not elect to receive a blessing. You are elect to carry that, you are elect to carry that blessing out, right? You are, you are God's elect ones, 
He chose you to carry that blessing out. And, and you are holy and beloved. You are covered in Christ, believer in Christ. That's how God sees you. He doesn't see your ethnic identity. He doesn't see what, what you think impresses people. And, and, and I mean, he sees it. He sees your pride and he sees your shame. He sees what you want to promote and what you want to hide. He sees the resume you slide across the table that you think is so impressive. And he sees what you have locked in the back room you hope nobody discovers. He sees it all. But you know what he sees above it all? The work of Christ. Christ who is our peace. He sees you as holy and beloved. You are holy because Christ has redeemed you and you are beloved. He loves you more than you can imagine because you are covered in His Son, His Son in whom all His delight rests. Which means, follower of Christ, you are at the very heart of the delight of God. Remind yourself, chosen ones, that you are holy and beloved because of the work of Christ, covered in Christ and delighted in by God. Respond to that love. That's what he's saying. Respond to that love. Before you get busy doing, get busy responding. But before you get busy trying to to bring peace to the world, you better get busy responding to the peace that, that Christ has won for you. It's not your job to change the world. It is your job to respond to the God who is. Your primary responsibility is to be loved. And from being loved to learn to love. Respond to that love. And then, having fully anchored your identity, having responded to Christ who is your peace, then move out in peace to love your neighbor. Then put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. You are loved. Now move out in love. Hmm. Now this isn't always going to be easy. Uh, Surprise, surprise. Uh, This isn't going to be easy, right? Take a look at verse 13. Verse 13. Bearing with one another, and, and, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also must you forgive. Notice the, the fundamental assumption here. <laughs> it's not going to be easy, right? Paul's like, look, all these things are wonderful, right? Who, do, who doesn't want to be kind? Who doesn't want to be patient? Who doesn't want to be loving and compassionate, right? As long as people are kind and loving and patient and compassionate with me. Right? It's really easy to love people who love me. It's really easy to be kind to people who are kind to me. It's really easy when, 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 when everybody reflects me to me, it's pretty easy for me to put on my best me. But that's not going to be reality. We're, we're a bunch of broken people coming together trying to figure out how to grow in grace. And as a result, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to say stupid things to each other. There are going to be times that we challenge each other in ways that we shouldn't say the things that, we, that, that hurt people's feelings. It's going to be hard. Listen, people are going to get on your nerves. There are times people, and, and, and maybe in this series it was me, but there are going to be times when, when people are going to be pushing you into discomfort faster than you want to go. Like you might even know you need to go there, right? But people are pushing you into it at a rate you don't want to absorb. It's like, that's too much. That's too much discomfort. That's too many hard conversations. That's too much challenge. 
I've had people tell me, you know, Steve, it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's exhausting when every word I speak seems to be the wrong word and somebody's correcting me. It's exhausting every time I, I try to express something and I seem to express it in the wrong way and I seem to end up on the wrong side of somebody, right? It's easier to be silent than to keep having difficult conversations. For some of you, the discomfort may be coming faster than you want to deal with it. For others, let's be honest, some of you are impatient. This has taken way too long for some of you. You want the difficult conversations to come, and you want them to come now. You want people to see what you see. You you, you got this, man, you're woke. And you want everybody to be woke with you. And you want them to see all the things you see and and be able to, to articulate everything you can articulate, and you want them to do it now. Right? Others may be a little bit too slow for you. Right? Be challenging your patience a little bit. You seem to keep having to have the same conversations over and over and over, and you wonder if people are actually growing. Listen, listen. Paul's admonition is not change each other. Paul's admonition is bear with one another. That takes patience. That takes love. That takes commitment to something higher than my personal comfort. That takes commitment to something higher than my personal rightness. Bear with one another. Don't measure each other's worth by how much they agree with you or how much they disagree with you. Don't consistently correct or berate or belittle people. Don't grow impatient and annoyed. Don't, don't pull away and get silent and, 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 and withdrawn. Be kind. Be humble. Be meek. Be patient. Bear with each other. And forgive one another. Forgiveness is a, uh, a wonderful concept until we actually have to do it. Right? We all love forgiveness until we have something to forgive. Right? I don't remember who said that. Somebody famous. I'm just quoting him. Forgive each other. Because... Listen, there's no way you're going to learn how to do life with people until you learn how to forgive people. There's no way you're going to learn how to do life together with people until you learn to ask for forgiveness because we're going to hurt each other's feelings. We're going to say things that are hard. Sometimes the rough edges of our worldliness are going to cut people. Right? We need to be willing to to be humble enough to ask for forgiveness, and we need to be humble enough to extend forgiveness that forgiveness, because there is no way we're going to learn how to live together without hurting each other, without having to ask for forgiveness and to extend it, right? And Paul anchors this, again, anchors it in, the, in Christ who is our peace. The way we grow in peace with one another is once again to anchor ourselves in, the, in Christ who is our peace. He reminds us, the Lord forgave you. Therefore, forgive one another. When you're having a hard time forgiving someone, push back into the forgiveness you've already received from Christ. Allow that to humble your heart and give courage to your soul so that you can move back into relationship either to ask for forgiveness or to extend it. Go back to the riches you've received in Christ so that you can then extend those riches to someone else. You have been elect for a responsibility to take the blessing you've received and then share it with others. The reconciliation we have with God works its way out. 
necessarily in our reconciliation with others. It's not optional. For us to grow in our experience of the love of God, we have to learn how to extend that love to others. In order to grow in our experience of the forgiveness we have in Christ, we have to grow in our experience of forgiving and being forgiven with others. Verse 14, he goes on. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Above all. Above all. Why above all? Right? Why isn't this just added to the list? This is a pretty impressive list to begin with. Why, why above all put on love? Well, I'll tell you, it's because love is at the very heart of the mission of God. Right? Love is at the very heart of the mission of God. God loves. And His primary calling for us is not to run around fixing each other, but for us to run around loving one another. He, he wants us to receive His love and then be undone by that love, how our pride humbled by that love, so that we can then move out in that love to love one another. Above all, put on love. Because love binds everything together. Listen, y'all, this is the only way you get a new community to work in a way that is in line with the kingdom of God. There are ways to create unity in worldly, uh, with worldly motivations. There are ways to create unity that, that are not the outgrowth of gospel unity, are not the outgrowth of the love of God, right? Paul is calling us to make sure it is his love that binds us together, that keeps us from pulling away in self-protection and self-promotion. Love, his love and our love for one another. Not pride. Not fear. Not threat, not shame. There is a worldly unity that that flows from from having a common pride or a common fear. There are churches that, that have unity. Because they've been unified around a common enemy or a common source of pride, a common community boast, or a common community enemy. Listen to me, that's simply replicating the artificial walls that Christ came to tear down. That is simply rebuilding what Christ died to remove. Those artificial walls bind us together in an artificial way and keep the others out. Listen, you don't need these artificial walls to keep you safe, follower of Christ. You don't need a common enemy and you don't need a common pride. It is love that binds us together. It's love. You don't have to have a common political ideology. You don't have to have a common economic platform. You don't have to have a, 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 a common politician or a common social cause because you've got a common love. The kind of love that this world simply doesn't understand. The love that flows from having been reconciled to God through the work of Christ that then leads us into the reconciling work to others. That is the love that binds everything together. Listen, false unity. False unity flows from, from a, a, a common fight against the wrong enemy or, or, or a common unity around the wrong center. True unity comes from a common love. 
It's the only way the church ends up with harmony. You ever try? No, I doubt you have. I haven't. You ever try to tune an orchestra? I know that's a weird question <laughs> to a weird illustration. I have never tried to tune an orchestra. I can tell you. Um, I'm not a musician. I wouldn't even know how. But I have heard this. Um, that in order to tune an orchestra, you have to do it intentionally, right? Imagine if you, if you, if you tuned a, a piano. Is that, is that an orchestra? I don't know. So let's say you tune a piano, and, and then you've got a harp, okay? I don't know if you, those go together, but, but you tune your harp off your piano, and then, and then over here you've got a trumpet. Is that, is that an orchestra? I don't know. So then you tune your, your trumpet off of your harp, and, and then over here you tune... I don't know, you're, you're a harpsichord. Is that in an orchestra? No. Um, so you tune the next, right? But, but you go from instrument to instrument and instrument to instrument, and you tune each instrument off of the instrument you just tuned. What I've been told is that that's a horrible way to do it. You're going to end up with a cacophony, right? When they all go to, to strike the same note, they're going to be off pitch. They're going to, it's, it's going to be a horrible sound because in order to tune an orchestra... You must tune it to a single note. Every instrument must be tuned to the same note. It can't be tuned to its neighbor. It must be tuned to the same source. When we unify around the wrong things, we are tuning ourselves to one another. And we are in this world a cacophony of noise instead of a beautiful demonstration of the glory of Christ. We need to be tuned to the right center, the right note. The same note must be used on each instrument individually, which means we all need to hear the clear note of God's love and tune our hearts to it. Each one of us must be tuned to that note. And when we come together, we will be in tune with one another. Even though we're different instruments, even though we're different cultural backgrounds, even though we're different convictions, even though we're, we're unique in our wiring, we will be tuned to one another to create a glorious hum to the glory of God. There will be diversity. And there will be harmony in the diversity because we are tuned to the same note. Verse 15. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, right? There's the note that we're to be tuned to, Christ who is our peace. The love of God extended to us through the person and the work of Jesus. That becomes the primary note to which your, your life needs to be tuned Listen, this is the purpose of your calling. Why did God elect you? That you might be tuned to the peace of Christ and having been tuned to the peace of Christ might, might, might be an amplifier of that to the world along with others who also have been tuned to the peace of Christ. Not so that you could just go to heaven someday, right? Christ didn't die and rise again so that you can get a ticket to heaven and, and just sit around on earth and wait for that to happen. He, he died and he rose again so that you could be a foretaste of heaven to the world today. So that you could be, be tuned to that redemptive work and be a representation of it. Not just individually, but with others, right? You don't have, you don't have an orchestra by yourself, right? This whole thing, I want to be a Christian, but I don't need the church. I don't think so. God called you to be an orchestra, not a soloist. 
right? You cannot sing to the glory of God without having a chorus. That's the way God designed it. We need the diversity of the body to be fully in tune. He called you to be part of that body so that you might find unity and diversity. That's his vision. And it is not secondary to the gospel. It is the natural outgrowth of the gospel. It is necessary. So it's going to hurt. It's going to be hard, right? We've established that. Being with different people, with different convictions, different backgrounds, different influences, different cultural experiences is going to be hard. There are going to be times when people are going to have to tell us things we don't want to hear, show us things we don't want to see, call us to repentance in ways, call us to repent of things we didn't even know we needed to repent of. Right? It's going to happen. That's part uh, of being in a diverse community. It's, it's going to be hard. We're going to have to learn how to forgive one another and, and, and ask for forgiveness again and again and again and again without running away, without bailing on the process, without getting fed up and walking out. It's hard. But here's the thing, y'all. This is what we need. To, this tunes us to the love of God. Remember this. It's hard not because people are jerks, but because we're proud and afraid. The reason it's so hard is, is, is not because people are jerks, but because I need to grow and it's hard to grow. The reason it's so hard is not because people are, are saying things I don't want to hear, but because they're saying things about me. I don't want to change. I don't want to grow. I don't want to be, right? Humility is hard. And growing in humility always feels like humiliation to the proud. That's us. And part of God's redemptive work is to grow us into the very characteristics that he calls us to grow in. Instead of being obsessed with our own comfort or being obsessed with our own rightness, we are called to be obsessed with Christ who is our peace. Listen, y'all, again, I'm going to say it again because this is reality. If you're a, if you're a guest with us, man, I just want to know what you're being invited into. We're a bunch of worldly people. Which means we're all, even though we're believers in Jesus and following Jesus, we're still trying to do life on our own terms and our own ways. We still find ourselves competing with God instead of humbly relying on God. We all have sharp edges. And God is in the process of knocking those sharp edges off. The problem is the way they get knocked off is by getting knocked up against the sharp edges of others. And that hurts. And that's hard, but it is good. Because it is through that process of forgiving and being forgiven, of loving and being loved, of knowing and being known that we grow in our experience of grace. And Paul knows it's going to be hard, and that's why he gives us some some gospel advice in verses 15 and 16. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, right? That's that's the note to which your entire life should be tuned. Your, your, not just your church life, your work life, your relationship life, your marriage life, your dating life, your entertainment life, right? Let, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's the note to which your entire life should be tuned, to which indeed you were called in one body, right? So be tuned with the entire body into this orchestra and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God, right? He's saying root yourself in gratitude. Be grateful people who aren't entitled people, right? Be grateful people who are generous people. Be grateful people who are humble people. Stop trying to fix one another and instead seek to encourage each other. 
Instead of trying to convince everybody, instead of always trying to be right, instead of trying to, to adjust and, and, and man, speak psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're like, Steve, that, that just sounds weird. I suppose it would be, right? But how deeply transformative it would be if every time we were interacting with each other, our primary purpose was not to win an argument, but to encourage one another. How incredibly transformative it would be if every time we were talking to one another, we weren't judging the other person based on what they said, but were instead looking for opportunities to, to remind them of whose they are, to remind them of who they are in Christ, to remind them of Christ who is their peace, to remind them that their greatest debt has been paid and their greatest problem has been solved and the greatest blessing has already been given. Weird, maybe, but encouraging. See, what he's saying is point each other to Jesus, who is your peace, right? Seek to stay in tune and point each other back to that single true note of love. Everything you do, do in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of America, not in the name of fiscal responsibility, not in the name of social justice, not in the name of of transforming society. Do it in the name of Jesus in response to his love and as an expression of your primary identity in him. Rooted in the work of Christ, abiding in the love of God, and then moving out in fruitful service to others. That's how we discover the beautiful gift of diversity. That's how we become the kind of people that invite more diversity. That's how we become the kind of community that that people who are different from us feel invited to join. People who think differently than us, look differently than us, have different experiences than us, they look at that and they think, I want to be part of that. I want some of that. Worldliness has poisoned the gift of diversity in human experience. The grace of God redeems it. We have an invitation, y'all. We have an invitation to be tuned to a completely different source the love of God, to be freed from our fear and our pride, from our angst and our incessant rightness, to be loved by God. And in being loved by God, freed to love each other. Listen, this is, this is what you were chosen for. This is the purpose of your election. To be loved and to love. Let me read again verse 17 as a benediction over us. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for the incredible gift of diversity. We own, Lord, that that we have run from this gift. We have in our pride looked down on those that we should love. We have in our fear separated ourselves from those who have a blessing for us from you. We, 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 We find security in our secondary identities. And Lord, we want to repent and we want to grow. We want to be uh, a, a people undone by your love. We want, we want to be a people that have drunk deeply at this fountain of grace. We want to be a people that, 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 that 
man, our primary identity is Christ who is our peace, that we have a peace with our Father through the work of Jesus. And then out of that, man, we want to be so rich in love that we can't help but spend it generously on others. To share love, kindness, compassion, gentleness. That we might love others and invite others to experience your love. Spirit, you're the only one that can free us progressively from the worldliness that enslaves us. And so we would ask that you would continue to free us into this beautiful, redemptive flow that will lead us to the very throne of God. Every tribe, every tongue centered around he who sits on the throne. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll put some reflection questions on the screen. We'll share communion in a moment.